<laughs> we, uh, we used to have a professional football team in Denver. It's too early, right? It's too, <laughs> the Colorado crush, that's funny. Oh boy, um, you know what we're doing today, you know I got this, this is exciting. We're baptizing 12 people this weekend at Thorn Creek Church. So exciting guys, so exciting. Jesus is still changing lives and there's, uh, there's not anything you've done or ever did that's too much for God to handle. Uh, he, he loves you and he cares about you. Um, I said this last night and I'll say it again. I feel like I'm a guest speaker right now because I haven't been here the last two weeks. I'm Pastor Ruben. Um, actually, I'm Pastor Abdul Raouf, and uh, but uh, I, I I am the pastor of this church, and it's been a great joy. God is God is just moving, and I want you to hear this, and and please receive this. Um, you are not here by accident. God brought you to this church for this very service. He's had you on His calendar, and He loves you. And he cares about you. And he sees what's going on in your life. Will you just receive that in the name of Jesus? Let's don't go through the motions of church. Think about this possibility. God sees you. God knows you. God knows your days. He knows all of your mistakes, all of the things that you've done. And he loves you. And he has a purpose for your life. As long as you have breath in your lungs. God has a purpose for you. So I want you to receive that in the name of Jesus, and I want you to hear that. Um, thank you for praying for me. My family and I, we, uh, we were on vacation. I had some time of rest. Our family, we feel like we're just pouring all the time in ministry, so it's good for us to get away. And uh, we went to uh, uh, Hawaii for vacation, and I got to uh, preach at a church in Maui. Uh, Maui's the place where there was, uh, in August, last August, there was a big fire and over 100 people died. It was a horrible thing. And um, so he wanted me to preach at his church and it's super, super, it's a super honor when I'm able to do that. And I want you to know you're not alone. There's other people across the place in the world, churches like you that are walking by faith and working through problems during the week or whatever it might be, needing a miracle. And uh, you are not alone. Uh, we all need the grace of God. So thank you for doing that. I need to tell you, incidentally, I'm going to share this a little bit more later, but uh, I had a meeting with Pastor Mark, Mark Goodmanson, and, uh, and he and I were talking about ministry together. And Thorn Creek Church is going to have an opportunity to partner with this church in Maui. And I'll share that more with you later. I just wanted to throw that out so you can, you know, imagine a little bit and daydream about that. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, hey, men's retreat is coming up in a few weeks. It's called Jacked. And it's super cool. We're going to be looking at the life of a guy named Samson. And uh, we're, going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at... I was told this guy's an actual real guy. That was, a, that was like a, one of these power builders from the 70s. I don't know who it is, but some of you might know who he is. But um, uh, So we're looking at how to get strength from the Lord. And I'm flying in a friend of mine from North Dakota. And he's going to be our guest speaker. It's going to be a great time. Um, Jesus said that the most important thing about you is your soul. Nothing's more valuable than your soul. So I'm saying that, men, to say you investing in your soul is incredibly important and the most important thing you can do. It's more important than any task or any email or any investment. It's more important than any of those things because God wants to do a work inside of you and you'll be changed as a result of it. We're going to be outside of Estes Park uh, at a campground. We take over the whole campground. We do worship services together. We'll have three worship services three times, and the rest of the time is just free time. It's basically a time for men to be boys, and uh, we just do whatever. But I want to encourage you to attend. If this is your very first weekend at Thorn Creek Church, please go to Men's Retreat. It's a way for us to connect with other guys and seek God with all of our faith. It's incredibly powerful being with 100, 150 men in a room worshiping God. It's incredibly powerful. All the messages are tailored for men, and it's just a great time. So I want to encourage you to be part of it. Ladies, some of you, you have like superwoman wife powers that you can get your man to do things. Use your wife powers, your woman powers to get them to go to men's retreat. They'll come back better. Uh, and it's, it's going to be good. So 
um, please be a part of that. Incidentally, why do we do men's retreat? Here's why we do men's retreat. Because growing up, um, I did not have a consistent father figure in my life. That's the truth. I didn't have a consistent father figure in my life, and God put some men in my life. But as a result of that, when I started, when God called me to pastor, and that's the only reason I'm on the stage, is because God called me. But as I've been a pastor, I've made a commitment that at Thorn Creek Church, I'm going to do everything I can to help men become a man of God, to help men fulfill God's purpose. So it's, it's personal for me, guys. I just want you to know it's incredibly personal. So that's why we have men's retreat. It's all intentional, and it's a, it's a place for you to meet, meet God. I share that with you because it's kind of related to today's sermon. We're in this series called Therapy Sessions, and what we're doing is uh, we're looking at um, reasons why people might go to therapy, might need counseling, um, and, and it, it's a good thing. Uh, there, there's a lot of reasons, and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about each topic. That's what we're looking at. So we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of kings today. But I want to start off with, uh, with the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have, what church? You will have trouble. But take heart. Say take heart with me. Take heart. Um, I have overcome the world. The words take heart literally means be encouraged. That's what it means. So, so here you have Jesus and, and, uh, and he's telling us, okay, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know what that means? There's going to be things that happen in this world that just don't make sense. There's going to be things that happen in this world that will create hurt and pain and suffering. Things that make you wonder, gosh, is there even a God? Why would God allow this to happen? How could I have found myself in this situation? I don't understand why I'm in this situation, and here I am, and now I'm dealing with this consequence, and it's just a horrible thing. And Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Now, you need to understand the heart of God. Um, the heart of God is for you to know him. The heart of God is for you to have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. God went through great expense to send his son into this world. So there's things that are happening in your life, and God is trying to awaken your spiritual senses. He's trying to give you eyes to see him. And there's things that are happening that God's just trying to get your attention, and he wants you to know there's a living God who loves you. You hear that? And some of you might be farther along than others. When I talk to guys or gals, they, you know, I always know when they're spiritually ripe. When they're spiritually ripe, they've been through some, maybe some tough things, or they, they've gone through some stuff, and maybe they said a prayer for the first time, or they've considered God for the first time, whatever it is, and they get to this point where they're like, you know what? I think I need God. I think I need someone greater than me. And that's a beautiful place to be. So God's trying to open up your eyes and soften your heart right now. So I just want you to hear that. God sent his only son into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world so that he could become a sacrifice for our sins. Why did he do that? Because God desires for you to know him. God wants you to have a relationship with him. God wants you to know him at a personal level, at a personal level. And this whole trouble stuff happened as a result of this fall with our spiritual grandparents named Adam and Eve. They sinned in this garden that you read about, and sin entered the world, and sin impacted all of creation, and it also impacted our capacity to be a good person. It impacted that. So as a result of that, we're born with this sinful nature that we got to kind of battle through. And sometimes we do things that we know are not right, or we think of things that we know are not good and honoring and, and whatever it is, you know, nobody, I never had to teach my kids how to lie. Did you? It's just kind of something that they had to work through that came up, bubbled up from inside. And, 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 and that's what Jesus does is he goes to the cross for our sins to save us from hell. 
That's what he does. This is the love of God. So here's the question. What do you do with feelings of hurt and pain? What do you do when you grow up and you experience hard times in life? What do you do with that? What do you do when the person that's supposed to take care of you, you're taking care of them? Or what do you do when you experience some sort of abuse, sexual abuse, or verbal abuse, or emotional abuse? What do you do when the person that's supposed to be with you leaves you, abandons you? How do you work through, how do you work through that? You have that father who should be present that is not present, or that mother who should be encouraging, but she's going through so much stuff, she needs help herself, and she's not even able to help you at all. What do you do when you're neglected? What do you do when you feel alone or abandoned? What do you do when you lose that loved one too early? What do you do when you see violence, abuse, what do you do when you experience someone bullying you or something like that? Or, or what do you do when anger is part of your home and that's all you see and that's all you see modeled? What do you do when you see all these things? What do you do with the memories? Today, the title of the message is Working Through Childhood Trauma. Childhood Trauma. It's pretty popular, uh, this childhood trauma stuff. And if there was a message that's like personal for me, this is it. I was talking to my sister this week, and she told me, you know, Ruben, you've got a lot of content. <laughs> I said, yeah, I do have a lot of content, but none of, all of us need the grace of God. I know what it feels like to experience hurt and pain. Uh, I know what it feels like to experience all that. I, I remember the day when, when I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and my dad introduced me to his... Uh, to his girlfriend. I remember that day. I remember seeing him the way he would treat my, my mom, and I remember seeing her cry. And I remember the day he left us, and I remember during that time, the person who was a father to me was my grandfather. And uh, I, he was a builder. He would build homes. And uh, I, I uh, grew up, I didn't grow up on a playground. Um, I grew up climbing framed houses. So I would climb these framed houses, go into two-story or, th or even three-story sometimes, and I would climb these framed houses, and I would carry one two-by-four over my shoulder, or maybe two if I felt really strong, and I would help out my grandpa, and, and people would refer to him as my daddy. I remember saltwater fishing with him over and over. That was our church, saltwater fishing and hunting. I remember all of those things, and I remember the day he said, Hey, son, don't come with me today at church, or to, at church, uh, to, to the job, because I'm going to be working with tar, and I'm going to be working on a roof, and I don't want you to get hurt. And I remember the day, that same day, where they called me, and they said there was an accident. And two weeks later, he was dead. I remember that day. I remember the pain of that. I remember getting a new dad. And my new dad, he and I were, personalities were just oil and water. He didn't get my humor and I didn't get his humor. He didn't have much of a humor, but he did have a humor. It was just different from me. We were just two different people. And I remember that. And, and I grew up like that. And you know what I thought? This is normal. My friends had blended families. This is, I'm going to do this. How many of you grew up with the same mom and dad? Just raise your hands. Same mom and dad. God bless you. How many of you grew up in a blended situation? Okay, so hands are there as well. Um, I, I grew up in a blended situation, and I remember when I met Grace, my current wife, my current wife, <laughs> I have one wife, that <laughs> sounds weird, my current wife, I'm going to see how she does, I'm going to throw you the receipt. Anyway, so uh, I remember uh, meeting her, and I was blown away that uh, she had the same mom and dad. I thought that was just weird. But sometimes when you're in an unhealthy situation, you think, that's the norm. That's the norm. Uh, I want to say this. Let's start off with this. There's no painful experience in your life that is greater than God's grace, mercy, healing, and power of redemption. I would swallow that pill. Can you do that? There's, there's nothing that's happened in your life that is greater than God's grace and his mercy and his healing and the power of his redemption. I have seen Jesus change and transform lives. Dark, people wrapped up in dark stuff where you might think there's no hope. 
There's nothing you have gone through in your life that's too big for God to handle. Nothing. I want you to hear that. Let's look at a definition of childhood trauma. The experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful, which often results in lasting mental and physical effects. So this could be psychological, physical abuse of some sort, sexual. It could be violence. It could be some sort of uh, painful experience due to a natural disaster or terrorism, sexual exploitation, sudden loss of a loved one, a war experience, a military family that experienced deployment or loss or injury, um, neglect, a serious accident that comes from some sort of life-threatening illness, any kind of painful emotional, mental, or physical experience. And then uh, another quote or another stat says this, more than two-thirds of children reported at least one traumatic event by the age of 16. So it's pretty popular. Um, and in fact, most of these events, uh, childhood trauma happens between birth and 18 years of age between birth and 18 years of age. I came across this other quote that said, the second half of your life is about sorting out the first half of your life. I thought, there's some truth there. Sometimes we kind of like, okay, what was that all about? What was that all about? Help me make sense of that. And why did I go through that? Um, here's the truth. All of us need the grace of God. All of us do. Everybody in the house, all of us do. Um, but how you process trauma, how you process those painful experiences is super important. Um, sometimes we can have like a lot of like uh, ego and pride about the stuff that we've been through. It's kind of like, yeah, I went through tough stuff, but didn't affect me. I'm good. You know, I feel like you, when you say that, the hairs on your chest pop out or something. I don't know. You know, you're just like, yeah, this is who I am, but it didn't bother me. Yep, I'm good kind of thing. You kind of have that tough guy attitude and you're like that until that trigger happens. Someone says something that reminds you. Uh, someone does something that makes you insecure or fearful or reminds you of something that happened where there was a hurt attached to it. Sometimes it's a, a sound or like a song. Maybe a certain band you know, was playing that you remember when it happened, or maybe it's a location, maybe it's a smell, maybe it's whatever it is. And you know, for me, um, when I would go to, uh, after my grandfather uh, passed away, I just grieved like all of us do when you lose a loved one. But for me, every time I went into a Home Depot and I smelled the lumber, it took me to my grandpa and I would start crying in the lumber aisle, and nobody would understand what's going on with Reuben, and, and, and they would, but for me, it was that smell of lumber. As I prayed about this message, um, there's a couple of kings that God brought to my mind. Um, they, in the Bible, the Bible separated by an Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus, New Testament is after Jesus. So in the Old Testament, you find a, a, a list of kings who reigned in Israel and Judah. And the kings are like, there's good kings and there's bad kings. And God brought me to this one king, but I want to start off with his dad. So this is dad. His name is King Ahaz. King Ahaz, this is the dad, was an evil, evil king. Reigned 731 BC to 17 BC. This guy was known for worshiping other gods. He was known for leading an entire nation to worship other gods. He was so evil, so evil. He worshiped this god named Baal, this other god named Molech, and he made this metal statue of them. And the statue had arms going out like this, and both arms going out. And what, they, what he would do would he'd heat up this metal statue until it was hot as hot could be. And he would even sacrifice his own children on the arms of that metal statue. And they would pound these drums so that the sound of the drums would be louder than the sounds of the child. Horrible. Horrible. But I'm telling you this so you can get an idea of King Ahaz, let's look at some, some verses here. Second Chronicles 28, verse 1. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he, be, when he uh, became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. 
He did not, say not with me, not, do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord as his ancestor David had done. Instead, it's amazing, David, that's King David. Like all the other kings were measured to that dude. Amazing. Verse 2, instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. He cast metal images for the worship of Baal. There it is. He offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, even sacrificing his own sons in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. That's a whole other sermon right there. Verse 4 says, He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills... And under every green tree. Evil, evil guy. So here's the first thing I want you to hear. Sometimes bad examples are good examples of who you don't want to be. Some of you can connect with that. Some of you can connect with that. Sometimes bad examples are good examples of who you don't want to be. So you see someone and you're like, boy, I see them and they're hothead. I don't want to be like that. I see the way he treats her. I see the way she treats him. I don't want to be like that. I see what, what they're doing. I see that addiction. I see that whatever it is. I don't want to do that. And you get to, this is amazing. You get to choose what kind of person you want to be. You get to choose who you want to be. Men, what kind of man do you want to be? trying to look at every man in the house if I can. What kind of man do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What an amazing opportunity. You get to choose what kind of man you want to be. Ladies, what kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? God has given you this choice. Ahaz was so bad. Verse 27 says, when Ahaz died, he was buried in Jerusalem but not in the royal cemetery of the kings of Judah. Wow. This dude was so bad. Like everybody knew he was an evil king. They put him in another cemetery and said, you don't belong with the cemetery of the good guys. You're going to go to this cemetery over here, and that's where we're going to put your body because your body does not, is not worthy to be with the body of righteous kings. Then it says, then his son Hezekiah became the next king. This idea of uh, another cemetery, it reminds me of this quote that I want to share with you. And the quote says this, live your life in such a way that they don't have to lie about you at your funeral service. <laughs> Isn't that good? I thought that was so good. Have you ever been at a funeral service? I know most of us have. Where they're talking about the deceased and they like sound like a saint, and you're like, who's that guy they're talking about? You don't say anything. <laughs> you're thinking, I would have loved to know that guy. Who's he? And you want to get up there and say, let me tell you the other side. But you don't, because we all have the other side too ourselves, don't we? But live your life in such a way that they don't have to lie about you at your service. So uh, King Ahaz has a son. His name is Hezekiah. Can you say Hezekiah with me? Hezekiah. Hezekiah, uh, he reigned from 715 B.C. to 686 B.C. So if there's, a, if there's a guy who has childhood trauma issues, it would be Hezekiah. Um, Hezekiah is 25 years old when he becomes king. Think about that. Where are you at? 25. 25 years old when he becomes king. And uh, for 25 years, he's had an example in his life of a dad who's been evil, uh, of a leader who's been evil, who's only thought about himself, who's worshipped other gods, who didn't go to church, was very stubborn, and that's the only example that he's had in his life. The only example. He may have read in books about other kings like David, but in his life, he's had one example every day. You know, you're a walking sermon. You know that, right? Everyone around you looks at your life, and they know how you feel about God. They know what you believe about God or don't believe. They see your ethics 
They see your integrity. They see your values. You are a walking sermon. You are preaching a message to people around you every day. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. If you have a critical spirit or a gracious spirit, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. So King Hezekiah, I thought if there's a guy who could like blame dad for all the bad stuff he, I mean, that's, Hezekiah could do that. Well, if it wasn't for my dad, well, I learned this from my dad. But Hezekiah does something else. Hezekiah chooses to live a different life. Verse 1, 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Who built all of that stuff? Daddy built all that stuff. And he tore it down. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel, they were so bad that they had been offering sacrifices to it. That was never the intent, but they were worshiping it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. They even gave a name to it. And in verse 5, it says, As Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in, in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. That's Hezekiah. I thought about, like, how did he do it? How did he do it? Now, whether you raised your hand and you said, I had the same parents, and maybe you would say, I had a great experience, great childhood, and the only traumatic thing you experienced was there was no prize in your frosted flake cereal. I don't know. But you do, you've had a great life. Well, praise the Lord. Let me just say this. You are still making a choice about what kind of man or woman you are today. It's not a gimme. You have to choose what road you're going to go on. Uh, the other side, if you, you were the second group that raised your hand and you've had negative examples, maybe not as bad as Ahaz, but you had some examples, you have the power to make a decision right now. So I want to say this. Verse 3 says a lot. The Lord showed me this first. Uh, this is Hezekiah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. So Hezekiah, at some point, he looked at his life and he said to himself, you know what? I can either chase after this or I can chase after this. I can chase after this career or I could chase after this job. I could chase after this woman or I can chase after whatever. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to chase after God's will. I want to make sure that I'm right before the eyes of God. And scripture says he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. So he wasn't the standard. God was the standard. So here's the first thing I want you to hear is you can write your own script. You have the power to write your own story. Even though it's been bad or good or whatever, you have the power to write your own script. You have that kind of power. One of the guys that we're baptizing, um, I, uh, this guy, uh, it's just great. It's a beautiful story. He, uh, he uh, came to my office a few, I guess it was a couple of months ago. And I was sick at the time. Um, I don't know what I had, but whatever it was. I, and I almost canceled on this meeting with him just because I wasn't feeling, you know, 100%. But I thought, I probably should meet him. So I met with him. And, uh, and he was telling me about his problems, and all of us have problems, and the things that he's going through in his personal life and home and all that stuff. And, and he's a husband and a father. So he's telling me all this stuff, and I'm listening. And I asked him, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And he said, well, I'm Catholic. And I said, okay, that's great. Have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And he said, well, I'm Catholic. I said, all right, that's super cool. Have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And he said, no, not like that. So I started talking to him, and I said, brother, it all starts with Jesus. I said, I, I said You're, everything starts with Jesus. And God sent him into the world to be your savior, and, and it all starts, your relationship with God starts with Jesus. 
So I, I talked to him a little bit more, and then I asked him, would it be okay if I lead you in a prayer, inviting Jesus into your heart? And he said, yeah. So we're sitting separate because I'm not feeling well. So he's like from here to the edge of there, and I'm over here, and I'm talking to him like this. And then I said, well, let's, let's do this. You kneel down over there. I'll kneel down over here, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So I prayed for him, and it was like, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. And he's repeating the words with me. And when I say, forgive me for my sins, he's quiet. And I'm like, well, maybe the brother didn't hear me. Maybe I mumbled or something. And forgive me for my sins. And then I heard him. And you know what he was doing? He was weeping. He got it. You know what I'm talking about? Spiritual self-awareness is a glorious thing. It's a liberating thing. And he, he, he right there, he, after he was done, I mean, after it was all done, I was in tears. And we're like, forget this illness thing. We're just going to hug and bromance it out. And we just hugged each other. It was like, it's such a beautiful moment. So I got to baptize him last night with his family. And I was so excited. <laughs> One time I baptized this guy. He hadn't been in church for 40 years. And a beautiful transformational story. His name is it's on the wall outside in the halls if you want to read it. His name is Ronnie. And, and he was a huge Raiders fan. And I told him, uh, when you go down in the water, you're going to be a Raiders fan. But when you come up out of the water, you're going to be a Broncos fan. And so <laughs> I baptized him. And as soon as he got out of the water, he's like, I'm still a Broncos fan, Pastor. That's what he said. Made me love. I want you to hear this too. God will judge everyone justly one day. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to, we need the blood of Jesus Christ over our life. Aren't you glad you have a God who not only forgives through Christ, not only forgives, but he remembers no more. He separates our sins as far as the East is from the West. You can walk out of this place with a clean slate, nothing on your record. Glory to God. And it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he has done for us. And he's the living one today. It's all because of Jesus. Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. We're all accountable to God. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from God. And then when you look at Hezekiah, Hezekiah gets this. And I want you to hear this. God was with you. If there's someone who's wronged your life and you're still bleeding over it, I want you to know God saw everything and God grieved over it. We don't always think of God as having emotions, but you're made in the image of God and you have emotions because God has emotions. And scripture says Jesus wept when Lazarus died. And God is grieved. You see it throughout scripture. There's times when God is just saddened. And I want you to know God was saddened when, if and when that happened to you in your life. But he's a good God. He's a redeeming God. Hezekiah made this decision. He made this decision, and, and 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter, chapter 30 excuse me, um, is evidence that Hezekiah was aware of what kind of man his father was. Here's how we know. Here's how we know. Verse 6 says, at the king's command, that's Hezekiah, runners were sent throughout Israel and Judah, and they carried letters. Now, this is before email. So they're sending out these letters. He's, now, he's a new king. And he says, here's, here's the letters, what they say. The letters say, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he will return to the few of us who have survived the conquest of the Assyrian kings. So right there, Hezekiah is saying, hey, guys, we made a mistake, and it was led by my dad. We turned away from God. We got to turn back to God. I know there's just a few of us, but we got to turn back to God because we need his blessing over our life. And verse seven, then he says, here's some do not bees. Do not be like your ancestors and relatives who abandoned the Lord. 
the God of their ancestors and became an object of derision, as you yourselves can see. Do not be stubborn as they were, but submit yourselves to the Lord. Come to his temple, which he set apart as holy forever. Worship the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. See, Hezekiah got it. And Hezekiah is like, hey, guys, we're going to make some mistakes, but we're not going to make these mistakes. Do not be like them. Do not be. Do not be stubborn. Hezekiah is like, I've seen the consequences of stubbornness. It's not good. I saw it in the home firsthand. I saw how it affected a man. See, when you are stubborn and full of pride, nobody can teach you anything. The only opinion that matters is your opinion. You don't have a teachable spirit when you're stubborn. In fact, stubbornness and pride is so dangerous, it'll keep you from turning to God. It'll keep you from turning to God. Pride is like the oldest sin in the Bible because there was an angel named Lucifer that was in heaven that got full of pride and swelled up within him. And he thought, I'm going to be just like God. I should be just like God. And God kicked him out of heaven and his name is Satan, the devil. That's how old pride is. That's how dangerous pride is. And incidentally, pride can infect the heart of a Christian or non-Christian. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's incredibly powerful. And Hezekiah is saying, you know what, guys? Don't abandon God. (laughs) Don't abandon God. It's bad news. I've seen it happen. Don't abandon God, and don't walk away from God, and don't walk away from your faith. I know you've been through some hard stuff, and I know you're tempted. Don't do that. And you know what? Don't walk away from church. I know you've been hurt, but don't walk away from church. Don't do it. Don't resist God's will. Don't be contaminated by evil. And Hezekiah has this passion about it. Now, for us, guys, it all starts with Jesus. God is so good. You know what? I know we all have stories, but for me, because of, you know, my experience with a a lack of a father figure, so to speak, um, God put three men in my life and said, showed me and said, this is what a man looks like. And I needed to see that. And it was kind of like, huh, I see the way he treats his wife. I can... I appreciate that. I respect. I see the way that relationship he has with the children. Oh, man, that's good. I see his relationship with God, and I see how it's real, and he's full of integrity. I can be done with that. I see how he's serving in the church. Wow, that's impressive. And God will do that. It all starts with Jesus. If you want to, uh, if you want to have a better life, it starts with Jesus. Let me just tell you now, it's not about your willpower. It's not about another podcast. It's not about a book. It's not even about your friends. It all starts with Jesus. So don't rely on yourself. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. You need Jesus Christ. It all starts with Jesus. And when you make that personal decision to say, Jesus, come into my heart, that's a life changing new trajectory kind of decision it starts with jesus jesus can handle your doubts he can handle your hurts he can handle your worries and all your fears and all the unknowns in your life and he could handle the pain as well jesus said in john chapter 7 on the last day and greatest day of the festival jesus stood and said in a loud voice let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink This is a different kind of thirsty. (laughs) Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Stay with me, guys. The band's coming back out, but don't get too distracted. Um, Don't tap out yet. So check this out. You know what I I saw in this verse? Jesus said, if you you are spiritually thirsty, if you're done chasing stuff, and you're recognizing there's you know, a bottom to it. 
you're recognizing you still have an emptiness inside of you. You're recognizing there's more to life and you don't know what that is. And, and you have a spiritual desire to know God. And you know what Jesus said? He said, come to me. So I had this vision of Jesus like sitting down or something and saying, here's the part. You come here. You see that? There's this action. It's like Jesus is respecting your freedom of choice. He wants you to desire him. He wants you to come to him. Parents, how cool is it when, you're, when your kid gets a certain, certain age, when they want to be with you? Is that not cool? Like the kids don't know all the sacrifices you've made, right? They don't know. They don't know. But when they want to chill out with you, wow, that's beautiful. And Jesus said, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And then it says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In the Bible, you see this metaphor of water over and over and over again. Jesus himself said he is the living water. I thought about this, you know, water certainly quenches thirst, right? It quenches our thirst and it's so good to maybe drink your bottle of water or whatever it is. But but the other thing I recognize in this, it says this, this water will flow from within. Now, this is referring to the Holy Spirit, because if you read the next verse here, it says this, by this he meant the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So at this point, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict, to rebuke, and to direct us, to lead us. That's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's a beautiful thing. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit tabernacled with the Israelites. But not everyone had access to the Holy Spirit. As Christians, it's one of the benefits. God will send his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can actually live inside of you and direct you and lead you. The other thing the Holy Spirit does is heals. Heals. Now, I'm all for counseling, guys. I've been to counseling sessions myself. But I want you to hear this. You can go to a million counseling sessions, but nothing will touch you like God's Holy Spirit. Nothing will heal you like God's Holy Spirit. I thought about this analogy of water and healing and how anything this water touches. In the Old Testament and in Ezekiel, this water, when it touched this this, this, uh body of water that was dead and all the fish were dead in it but when that fresh water touched this body of water everything in that water came to life and I thought about how this water runs down you know when you spill water or something like that or if you have a leak or whatever and you spill something where does the water go it's driven by gravity right and it spills. And you know, the thing about water is it goes into every nook and cranny and crack and crevice. You know what I'm talking about? It just goes everywhere and you can't stop it. And then I thought, that's like the grace of God. The forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit goes down to every nook and cranny and crack and crevice of our soul and you experience the healing touch of God in those places those dark places those places that you haven't visited those places where hurt and pain were at but the love of God the grace of God the mercy of God the Holy Spirit goes to all of these places because he wants to heal you and restore you and make you new he wants to put a new song inside of you he wants to put a new strength inside of you he wants to put a new joy inside of you he wants to put a new peace inside of you He wants you to know Him as Lord and Savior. He wants you to experience the freedom that comes with His Holy Spirit. Because where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, anybody need that?
You want some of that? God's Holy Spirit can bring deep healing to your soul. Paul said in the book of Romans, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You know what this means? It means God can bring good out of bad. God can bring good out of bad if you trust him. I, I, I know a woman, and I bet some of you know people like this, and maybe this is even your life, and she experienced um, sexual abuse as a child, and it was a horrible situation. It affected her. It impacted her life. It impacted her future sex with her future husband. It just impacted her. But then she came across Jesus. She invited Jesus into her life, and the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of her and she experienced a healing touch a healing touch and she was so changed you know Jesus knows how to change lives he's so good at it and she was so changed and made whole and she started a brand new ministry to love and minister on prostitutes and minister with, uh, with women who are caught up in sex trafficking and it only happened because of God. But she was able to identify with that hurt and that pain. And she was able to look back. And that's exactly what God does. You went through a painful experience or a traumatic experience. And as long as you hold on to your faith, you keep coming to church. You say, Jesus, take over my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. And you keep walking. And you experience this healing. And then you can minister to that person because you have an intimate knowledge of what it feels like to go through that. That's how redemptive God is. That's what God does over and over and over again. Hezekiah takes some action steps. He's starting to be a new king. And check it out, his first month, first month as king, here it is, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Remember when he learned all the don'ts? First thing he did was, we got to go to church. We spent a lifetime not going to church. We got to go to church. Church is a place where you hear the word of God. Church is a place where the spirit of God dwells. Church is a place where you serve and love and give and pray. Church is a place where miracles happen. Church is a place where we encourage each other. We got to go to church. No more excuses. We got to go to church. And the first thing Hezekiah does is he reopens the doors of the temple. Who closed those doors? dad closed those doors and then you see he removed the pagan shrine smashed the sacred pillars and he cut down the asherah poles he broke up the bronze serpent that moses had made well who made all this stuff dad but hezekiah did something here and i want to say this if you really want to be the person god wants you to be then you need to declare war against anything that comes between you and God's purpose for your life. And you got to do it with passion. I mean, you got to be real. Like, I ain't playing games. This thing has had a hold on me. I'm going to get it out of my life. This thing has my number. This thing has made me feel weak. This thing has made me feel incompetent. This thing has made me feel fearful. This thing has made me feel horrible. I'm no longer gonna let this thing in my life. I'm gonna cut it out of my life. I'm gonna pull out this spiritual sledgehammer and I'm gonna crash it. I, I'm gonna pound it out of my life. I'm not gonna let it, let it in my life. I'm gonna walk away from that relationship that's been toxic. I'm gonna walk away from that thing because it's been bad. I'm gonna stop looking at those videos. I'm gonna stop listening to that song. I'm gonna cut it out of my life because it's coming between me and my relationship with God and it's preventing me from walking with a spirit of freedom and I'm walking with a spirit of defeat because this thing is in my life and I gotta cut it out of my life anybody needs something cut out of your life and you're done you're gonna I need this out of my life in the name of Jesus Christ I'm gonna cut it out of my life you gotta declare war verse 6 is this but Hezekiah for he clung to the Lord. 
It's a word we don't use a lot. Clung. Sounds weird. He did not depart from following him. But he kept his commandments. And I just want to leave you with this last word. Hold on to God. Hold on to God. There's some things that have happened and you may be that person that's like, I got no faith. Don't, hold, don't let it go. I've been hurt by the church. Oh, don't walk away. I'm in too deep. But don't walk away. You're not too far. You're not too deep. Where the grace and the love of God can reach you. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Hold on to God. Hold on and watch God move. Hold on. God hasn't given up on you. God sees you and God loves you and God hasn't given up on you. He has a plan for your life, baby. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He's going to use you in ways that will blow you away. He can do it. I'm telling you. I'm a living example. A lot of you are living examples. A lot of you are living examples. Hold on to it. So here's, let's make a decision here, guys. You came to church. Here's the big decision point. Some of you, maybe you're not a follower of Christ. Would you let me pray with you? Are you willing to receive Jesus into your life? If not now, tell me when. What are you waiting on? You need more what? I think you have enough. You got to walk through this thing called faith. So would you let me pray with you? There's a reason why you have breath in your lungs and, and this appointment between you and God is pretty important. Others of you, maybe, maybe you need a healing touch by God. Maybe you need God's Holy Spirit inside of you. Maybe you've been hurt or whatever it is and you need His Holy Spirit to bring healing to your life. And this is why you're here. So let's make a decision together for the will of God. Can we do that? So right where you're at, let's bow our heads and let's pray. And if you're ready to receive Jesus, you can say this. Jesus, I need you. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I don't understand all of this. I just know... I'm thirsty, and I need you. So I, I want to just ask you to get behind the steering wheel of my life. Forgive me for my sins, and be my Lord and Savior. I want you, Lord Jesus. Others of you might need to say this, Holy Spirit, I need you to invade me. I need you to bring healing to me. I need you to restore me. I need you to give me new strength. I need a new song. I want to laugh again. I want to I want to live with the spirit of freedom. So Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Give me a new craving for spending time with you. Give me a new craving to go to church. A craving that I have not had maybe ever, maybe a long time. Give me a desire to go to church, a desire to seek you, a desire to please you, a desire to live a life that's pleasing under your eyes. Give me that desire, God. Help me. I want to be more like Hezekiah. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray all of this. Amen. Can we put our hands together and thank God for his word? God is so good.